You're listening to the 1208 Podcast from 1208 Greenwood Free Methodist Church in downtown Jackson, Michigan. Read a short bit uh, from Isaiah 6, but before we do that, let's talk about where we left off. Last week is a monumental prophetic passage in the Bible. It's about this crazy vision that Isaiah has. And it's one of those kind of visions where you struggle to know just what kind of vision it is. You know, like he sees God enthroned on his throne, his robe fills the temple, uh, there's seraphim, these fiery, serpent-like, angelic beings around him. Uh, The room is filled up with smoke. And uh, it's just a very vivid picture. So we wonder, like, A, did he walk into the Jerusalem temple, but rather than see what he always sees, he sees God's throne in that place, since the temple is supposed to be, like, kind of where God's throne and the earthly throne of God kind of intersect in the spiritual, physical world. So did he walk in and get a surreal vision of what's going on? Or was this an out-of-body experience? Those happen in the Bible sometimes, uh, where prophets are like taken out of their bodies, it seems like, and they, they see things. Paul himself says he was taken to the third heaven at one point. Whatever that even means, Paul. Uh, we also have uh, uh, other kinds of visions, like this could be a dream. It could be a daydream with God. Um, it could be uh, something else. Whatever the case is, this one's surreal, and it's very impactful to the point that um, what we see in there is much of, as part of the vision that's painted for us in Revelation, that famous song, Holy, 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 it's the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Revelation's working off of Isaiah's moment standing in God's presence. This is an unusual moment in which, in which Isaiah has come into the throne room of God. And so there he is, and then something interesting happens, and this is where we left off, Isaiah 6, 8. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go, and say to the people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and, their blind, and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Then I said, how long, O Lord? And he said, until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people and the land is a desolate waste. And the Lord removes people far away in the forsaken places and many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again, like a terebinth or an oak, whose stumps remain when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. I want to take us back into a concept I've talked about many times before. I'm just going to kind of start as though you've never heard of it, so sorry if it hits you all over again. But it's the Divine Council worldview of the Bible. The Divine Council worldview is this idea that in God's throne room, it's not just God chilling out there, 
But he's the one in charge. He's the one on the throne. And around him are all the sons of God. Now, sons of God in the Old Testament is just a spiritual being. Okay, So humans are God's earthly family. But then spiritual beings who are following God. So not like Satan and fallen angels. But spiritual beings who are following God are known in the Old Testament as the sons of God. We're the earthly family. They're the spiritual family. They're his children, if you will. And so here's all these sons of God, which can fit the description of any kind of good spiritual being. Okay, So a, um, an angel. An angel's job in the hierarchy of spiritual beings is to deliver messages. An angel is a son of God. A seraphim that we just saw in this passage with Isaiah, whose job is the same as the cherubim, which is to protect God's throne. Those are sons of God. The entities that God assigned to reign over nations, like Daniel talks about the prince of Persia, the prince of Greece. Deuteronomy 32 talks about how sons of God were put in charge of different nations, just like these princes that I just mentioned. These spiritual beings are sons of God. All, all spiritual beings are sons of God. And they often get together with God to work with him to carry out his will on the earth. Okay? So, for example, um, passage I've mentioned before, God says to the divine council, to all the sons of God, to all the spiritual beings, all right, guys, King Ahab has to go. He's, uh, he's done messed up. We give him many chances and he just continually keeps messing things up. So it's time for his reign to end. How are we going to do it? Now, God knows how to end King Ahab, right? I mean, he could just snap his fingers and King Ahab would be dead. That's not the way the divine counsel is pictured. Just as God collaborates with us to spread his kingdom on the earth, so God collaborates with spiritual beings to spread his kingdom in the heavens and on the earth. So he says, all right. King Ahab's got to go. Who's going to do it? Well, how are we going to do it? And maybe a weird spirit comes up. He's like, I got an idea. No, you're always weird. Get out of here. You know? And then another one comes up. He's like, well, here's an idea. No. And, until finally a spirit, which is just another word for a spiritual being, could be angel, seraphim, whatever. A spirit comes up. He's like, here's an idea. Let's try this out. And God's response in his omniscience, you know, he thinks over how this idea would work. And he's like, yeah, yeah, that'll work. We can do that. So God declares what's going to happen, and then the spiritual beings speak in to the conversation, and God collaborates with them. That's an example of the divine counsel. We see other images of it, the watchers in Daniel's time. Watchers is another kind of spiritual being. It's a word especially used for angels in between your testaments, in books you don't have in your Bible. Uh, Daniel is right towards the end of your Bible, and he uses the word watchers, so you see that word start coming up. But watchers is this other kind of spiritual angel of sorts. And watchers come to King Nebuchadnezzar, and they're like, look, if you don't get your life together, if you keep in all of your pride declaring all these things you've done that God's doing, we're going to humble you by turning you into a cow." Or, or something like that. It's, it's, um, he's going to have all the behavior of a wear cow, of a cow. <laughs> so he's either turned into a cow or he's just got this psychotic episode that he goes through. And they say, like, this is by the decree of the watchers, the holy ones of God. And so here we see that, yeah, God's kind of made the decision. He signed the papers, if you will, that this is what will happen. 
to Nebuchadnezzar, but this plan against Nebuchadnezzar is the watcher's idea kind of thing, or the watcher's working alongside God. Another example, book of Job. Uh, we, always, we talked about this on the Jackson Cloud this past week. You can check our last episode about uh, who actually, what does the Bible actually say about Satan. But in the book of Job, Satan comes into God's divine council, into God's throne room, and wants to chat. This isn't actually, in my opinion, this isn't actually Satan. Because in Hebrew, the word Satan just means adversary. Okay? In, in the Old Testament, good guys are Satans. <laughs> and bad guys are Satans. Because Hebrew Satan just means to be the opposite. You know? like, so if a good guy is a Satan to a bad guy, he's an opponent of the bad guy. You see the Bible used the word, it's not a moral word, it just means adversarial. In the Old Testament... So the book of Job paints a picture of the divine council. Court is in session. God nails the javelin down. It's time to chat. And a Satan, who's really just this, in my opinion, just an, just an angel, uh, whose job apparently has been to go throughout the earth. That's the way he talks about what he was doing. He's gone throughout the earth and he's in a bad mood. Okay, Because as he walks throughout the earth, he's like, look, God, we got to talk about humanity for a second. They are the worst. <laughs> I mean, I was out there just walking around, and and my job, you wanted me to kind of like take a survey, how are they doing? They aren't good. Sin has infiltrated their life a lot. They are messed up, man. And God's response to that is on behalf of humanity. He's like, well, okay, what about Job? Job's a good guy. He's doing good. He doesn't match the description of humanity that you just gave me. And this angel in a bad mood is like, well, Job... God, you gave him everything that that anyone could ever want. He's got money, he's got things, he's got good health. Everything is great for Job. I'm telling you, God, humans are all bad. If you just take away that hedge of protection, that's where the phrase comes from, from Job. There's a spiritual hedge of protection that you put around him. No one can touch him. No one can make anything bad happen in his life. But I'm telling you, humanity's all the same. If you would just take that hedge away and let us do a few things, I guarantee you Job is like every other human being. He will curse you. He will turn against you. You take away his stuff, and he won't care about you anymore. And God hears this angel say this. He's like, all right, I bet you that's not the case. Let's, let's see what happens. <laughs> Of course, that's bad news for Job, but that's the phrasing of the divine council worldview in the book of Job. There's kind of this this debate going on. Is humanity worth saving? Is humanity all the worst? Will anyone follow God to the bitter end, even if they have nothing? It's the divine council at work in that moment. God working with spiritual beings. Now, here's the interesting thing. Isaiah, whether in an out-of-body experience or in an open vision of some sort, Isaiah walks into God's council, into God's throne room. There he is. There's the seraphim, these fiery serpent-like beings protecting his throne. And then God puts out a decree, just like he does with the divine council. He assigns a mission, just like he does with the divine council. He looks for someone to serve a task. 
And his words are, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I like to imagine it, like all these like hundreds or thousands or millions of angels everywhere. Like, oh, I'm going to put my hand up first. And then Isaiah, the human dude, in the middle of this room of like <laughs> the sons of God. It's like, oh, here I am, send me. And just all the whoa, double taking. You know, one angel's drinking some spit take. <laughs> Say, what did you just do? The, the human guy, he's the one who's going to go do this? <laughs> God, you didn't mean, you just wanted him to watch this, right? You didn't mean for him to come in here and actually do something, right? did you? Yeah, the prophet, Isaiah, you, come here. You can do this job. I'll assign this to you. Here's, here's your task. Here's what I'm putting on you in this time. You see, your people have sinned so much. Your people are guilty of so much blood. I look at the whole world and all the nations that I once had Israel destroy because they were so bad, guess what? You're worse than all of them. Israel has committed so much sin. It's, it's, it's beyond believable. I gave you everything that you needed to succeed. And yet Israel has just squandered it and used it for selfish gain and killed so many and it is time for judgment to come beyond Israel. And the way that I look at God saying this is like, but here's the deal. I'm a, re- I'm, I'm a guy who listens to repentance. I, when people repent, I listen. So here's what your mission is. This is going to sound backwards. But Isaiah, I need you to speak the words I say, which are intentionally meant to blind Israel from repentance. It's going to harden their hearts. This isn't new. This is what God does with Pharaoh, right? It's going to harden their hearts. So they don't turn. Because if they turn, I'm going to forgive them. (laughs) Now, that's not to say that's the case for all of Israel. There are some out there who are truly faithful, truly repentant. And if I was to imagine Israel as a tree, the whole thing's going to get chopped down right now. But there will be a stump left. And out of that stump, just like trees still grow after they've been chopped down, out of that stump, out of that faithful remnant of all that's left of Israel, I will bring about the Messiah. It's funny, God even calls that stump that is a part of a terebinth. Terebinth trees in the Old Testament were sacred trees where you often came and where people often had moments with God. Abraham meets with God by terebinth trees. And so you see God saying, like, this whole thing is being chopped down, but out of this will come the Messiah. Out of this will come something good. Out of the small remnant, out of the stump, there will be salvation. There will be repentance. There will be a fixing of all of this. But for now, Israel needs to pay for their sins. And so you need to speak in a way that's going to harden their hearts. So perhaps if you ever wondered why the prophets hurt so much to read, maybe this is part of the reason. And we'd say that that just sounds like a weird prophet thing, but Jesus did the same thing. Y'all remember his catchphrase? Anybody? He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Why did Jesus say that? He told his disciples, here's the deal, guys. I speak in parables so people won't understand. 
I don't want just everyone to catch on to this. I need to know who really cares about this. And those who care about it are going to hear the parable and pursue the answers and follow me. That's why God speaks in dreams and visions. Why? He expects us to follow after him to get answers. If he just told us everything point blank, we would never follow. And so Jesus tells his disciples, you already have the secret of the kingdom of heaven whether that means Jesus himself or the Holy Spirit. He tells his disciples, you'll understand the parables, even though they're not very wise and don't. You'll understand the parables because you have the secret of the kingdom of heaven. But I speak in parables to everybody else, so those who are genuinely after me, those who genuinely want to follow me, will have their ears opened as they're following, as the Holy Spirit reveals to them the truth. So this isn't just like a Isaiah thing, speaking in riddles so no one can understand. This is a Jesus thing as well. And sometimes I even wonder if Isaiah's passage is super relevant to today. I mean, Corona, Corona just feels like such a sifting to me. I've heard this from numerous pastors as we've all chatted over the last eight years, across eight years, eight months. Over the last eight months, as we've been chatting across denominations and within our own denomination, so many of us are like, COVID feels like such a sifting of the church, like that terebinth tree being knocked down. What's going to be left when that stump is there? As though God is calling out to us, how much do you care? Will you follow? Likewise, the prophets who speak today They're saying things that no one wants to hear. And everyone tells them to shut up and they want to be blind to what they have to say. Jesus knew that prophets get killed oftentimes because nobody wants to hear them. And the prophets today, the ones who genuinely seem to be preaching things that match what the Bible has to say, are often being scolded, told to shut up, and people are hardening their hearts to it. It's almost as though it's Isaiah's moment all over again. So I do think Isaiah has something very prevalent to say to us today. Will we be faithful? Will we be the stump that is remaining when the whole thing crumbles? And as it crumbles, will we continue to soften our hearts to hear what the Spirit actually has to say? Or will we be blind and deaf to them because it's not something that matches what we want to hear? Just like Israel wanted to hear nothing about exile. Just like Israel didn't want to hear anything about, ah, you are a beautiful vineyard. I gave you everything you wanted and you left me. You know, like the, the words of Isaiah are hard and we've already skipped over a bunch of it because it's hard. <laughs> but this is his mission. Isaiah stands up in the divine council in front of the sons of God, in front of the spiritual beings, in front of the holy throne of God who is holy, holy, holy. As his robe fills the temple, as the smoke fills the temple, as he quakes, recognizing that his lips are unclean in that moment. In all of that, Isaiah, rather than run out the door and be terrified, God says, who will go talk? And Isaiah stands up in the divine council and says, I'll do it. And then he proceeds to write one of our biggest prophetic books, because that's the mission he's on. 
or the prophets who followed him edit all his sayings together to show the world what God was doing at this time. Will we listen? Will we soften our hearts? It's been a theme that's come up a lot throughout my preaching this year. Will we follow God wherever he takes us? And will we continue to do the mission of God? Because here's the beautiful thing. You stand at the divine council now. So one of the things that we do in order to be gender neutral, and I understand completely why, but you know, with our Bible, sometimes we'll write out in the New Testament, like we are all sons and daughters of God, which is perfectly fine because that's completely biblically accurate. Here's the thing that we forget, though, with that. The sons of God in the Old Testament were the spiritual beings granted power and authority over whatever God delegated to them. In the New Testament, when human beings receive Jesus into their life and become Christians, guess what they all become? The new sons of God that replace the old fallen ones. When you become a Christian, you become the most powerful being that there is on the earth. And ironically, if you're going to live like Jesus, it's about kind of setting that power aside. (laughs) But you become something full of the power because you are the new divine council of the New Testament. And you're that not only when you get to heaven and then when heaven comes to earth and the resurrection, but you're that right now. That's why Paul, when, when judgments were happening, uh, people, Christians were suing other Christians, <laughs> taking them to court to get judgments. And Paul told them, it's like, guys, what are you doing? Do you not understand the kind of judgmental power that God has deposited on your behalf? You guys can take care of this yourself. You're the new divine counsel. He tells them, do you not know that you will judge angels? Angels, human beings judging angels. Why? Because you're replacing the fallen ones. Not that you're becoming angels, but you're becoming the resurrected humanity that replaces the old sons of God. So yes, we are sons and daughters of God, but also by that identity, we are powerful beings in God's courtroom that work with him to make decisions and are delegated tasks. And that's why you have spiritual gifts. You've been delegated tasks. Do you have a gift of healing? Guess what? The divine council has delegated you something to do. God, in the divine council, excuse me, has delegated you something to do. Do you have the gift of prophecy? Guess what? God, from the divine council, has delegated you something to do. What kind of talents are in your life? What is naturally there? What is supernaturally there? What isn't that there yet that you, that you desire? Why do you desire it? Has God put it in your heart to desire? Are you chasing after it? Are you waiting to see what will come of it? The divine council is at work now on the earth as heaven is breaking through. We always talk about heaven like it's this thing that's way off at the end that we die and we fly away. That's Gnosticism. This idea of just getting rid of earth and body, that's always been Gnosticism, which the Bible was against. The redemption of earth and body is Christianity, and that's what we are for. And so right now, heaven wants to break through. Jesus talked about heaven more than pretty much anything else. Why? 
Because it was a kingdom that's already here. There's a kingdom being inaugurated into our world when he went on the cross. And it's a kingdom that continues to break through into this world when we live out the calling that has been put on us as Christians, living in the divine council not only down the road, but living in that authority and that power right now. See, this is an identity crisis in the church. We think of ourselves as <laughs> all kinds of things. Lately, we keep fighting for our rights and our liberties and all these things. Guys, you, you can never have more rights and liberties than you do as a son and daughter of God. Regardless of what the world tells you, you can or can't have. And when you are persecuted, live in the, the, the Bible's perspective of persecution. Ah, blessed. Blessed are the persecuted. Take joy when you're persecuted. Ah, we've been hurt like Jesus for our faith. Our faith means something. This is important. We mean something. We have power and yet we, we, we shovel deeper. We could ascend mountains and yet we, we create chasms to get down in the mud with those who are the muddiest and pull them out and then dig deeper until we've made ourselves so lowly that we look like a man who died on a cross when he could have called down legions of the divine council to take over the earth right then. Band's going to come up. We're going to worship. And I'm going to pray for you. God, we thank you that you would consider lowly humans to be something of such great value and immense worth. Now let us live in humility. As we walk in the gifts that you've given us to do the things that you've called us to do, to live out heaven, not later, but right now. And those who don't know what their giftings are, God, would you open them up to it tonight? Those who don't know even what their talents are, open them up to it tonight. Those who need new missions, new callings, open them up to it tonight. Those who need old missions and old callings renewed now in this time, open them up to it tonight. We stand with Isaiah and the Divine Council. And though we are afraid of the God of the universe standing in front of us, we lift up our hand before everyone else and we say, here I am, send me. And then despite whatever difficult words you follow up that reply with, we kneel before you and say, if, if it's your will, let it be done. In Jesus' name.